Alrighty, thank you so much for joining us. Once again, John Scholes here along with partners, Sam Firu, Tamarkin, LLP, Stan Fainzelberg taking all the questions, giving you all the answers this morning. You haven't reached out to Stan or a member of his team at the uh, firm. You could do that in confidence and knowing full well that they're the uh, most positively reviewed employment law firm in this country. So uh, have at her anytime you would like. You want to reach out to, uh, to Stan or his team. He'll put you in some capable hands for sure. Email address right off the hop, help at employment lawyer.ca and the phone number of course toll free anytime for a longer conversation 1-855-821-5900 we're going to actually get to the inbox today a ton of emails have come through in the last few weeks Dan I knew you guys have been busier than a one-legged man in a butt-kicking contest because of all this stuff going on with vaccines and passports and do I have to get the shot and can they fire me, can they let me go temporarily, all this stuff. All this stuff's been going on, but we'll get to a bunch of emails in that regard and phone calls. But first, the week that was, my brother, what do you got going on? Yeah, well, good morning, John and listeners. And uh, I, we will definitely, I'm sure, get into the vaccine stuff because that mm-hmm. really is the hot topic of the day. Uh, in employment law, but there were some other developments that I really wanted to bring to our listeners' attention um, because a lot of the government programs that were set up specifically during COVID are either being wound down or changing in important ways that people need to understand. Uh, So the first program that I wanted to discuss is the CRB, or Canadian Recovery Benefit. That program has officially wound down as of today. That means that if you are not eligible for EI, uh, that was essentially the program that was created for people who couldn't qualify for EI, such as you know dependent contractors, even independent contractors. That program is no longer available to people. Okay. Uh, in its place, the government is going to set up a separate program they have called the Canadian Worker Lockdown Benefit. Uh, this program only applies if you are being impacted and losing your ability to work because of a government-imposed lockdown. If that does occur, though, people qualify for $300 a week from October 24th until May 7th or until the government decides to change that date. Uh, A couple of other programs that the government is creating as well. The Tourism and Hospitality Recovery Program, a program specifically introduced for the tourism and hospitality industry, obviously one of the most hard-hit industries during this pandemic. And it's very similar to the Canadian uh, wage subsidy or emergency wage subsidy, which is actually being wound down as well. And the same criteria applies effectively. It's a subsidy for employees' wages. If you could show us uh, a revenue loss of 40% in the current month, then the government will subsidize an employee's wages up to 75% and a certain maximum of like Um, $56,000. And this program continues till mid-March after which it declines, actually. It doesn't wind down. It declines from 75% to 50%. Uh, Another program they've instituted is the Hardest-Hit Business Recovery Program. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically, it's similar to the Tourism and Hospitality Recovery Program for just other industries. And similar eligibility uh, requirements apply. You have to show 50% revenue decrease, and then you get subsidy of 50% until March for employee wages. Another program that's actually been extended is the Canada Recovery Hiring Program. This is a program that's been in place for for several months now, specifically to help businesses ramp up and try to hire to meet the demands of uh, post-pandemic economy. And so this has been extended until November 20th. And 
Essentially, it only requires a business to show right now for periods from October until November 20th, a 10% drop in revenue to qualify for 50% subsidy for eligible employees. Uh, and the other two programs I just wanted to mention are the Canadian Recovery Sickness Benefit and the Canada Recovery Caregiver Benefit, both of which have been extended. The eligibility has been extended by two weeks, right? and they both continue until November 20th. Uh, the, the, just uh, as an overview, the Recovery Sickness Benefit, that's there if you have been impacted by COVID, uh, if you're sick, um, or if you think you've shown symptoms, or if you've been told to quarantine, you qualify for four weeks of basically EI payments. Hmm. And similarly, the Canada Recovery Caregiver Benefit is essentially for people who have to take care of others who are sick right. due to COVID. And that actually is a program that uh, provides for 42 to 44 weeks of eligibility. You know, it's... I was just going to say, this is all, you know, so super confusing for people. You can reach out to Stan anytime. Obviously, he has clarity. You can as well. one 821 5900 Just throwing that out there. Uh, continue on, pal. What else were you going to say? Oh, no. I mean, I was just going to say the same thing that, you know, there's this labyrinth of programs. I've yeah. only literally touched on a handful. There are so many other ones that impact any everything from rent subsidies to energy uh, bill subsidies, uh even groceries and people who are, you know, certainly on the lowest level of income. There are yeah. subsidies and grants that the government is offering specifically due to these programs. But one thing, I will end on a higher note, John, because one thing I did, one fact I did come across in my research was that, and for those who missed the job numbers from September, Canada has now recovered 100% of the jobs we've lost during wow. the pandemic. And that's in contrast to 78% in the United States. So regardless of what we think of the, the programs, and I know there's going to be a huge tax bill that accompanies these programs, mm-hmm. uh, we are back, our, at least our economy is back to where it was prior to the pandemic, and it seems to be going strong. Yeah, let's hope they can uh, keep it up in every regard for sure. Want to, uh, do you have something else to, you want to cover or you want to get into our emails? Because I did mention off the top we got a pile to get through, but it's your call, pal. Uh, no, that was uh, that was basically the week that was. So why don't we jump into emails and obviously list uh, phone calls if you people want to call in? Absolutely. Here's that uh, email address for uh, this morning and anytime for that matter. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. You can also go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca for more information anytime while you're having a listen to the show today or uh, at your leisure as well. Pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. But Tony is up first. Says, hey Stan. Uh, having had received a, a recent severance, would I uh, be able to apply for EI without any penalties or clawbacks? So in the normal course, John, you know, we there's always a set off. You can't, you know, outside in the, outside of the pandemic in normal context, if you're getting EI and then you get your severance afterwards, you usually have to pay EI back. Okay. But the government has changed that program again Uh they have now said that until September of the 2022, essentially that set-off does not apply. So you can absolutely get both your severance and your EI payments. And I tell every client and prospective client I talk to, the first thing you should be doing if you've been let go is apply for EI because there is no downside. You get to mm-hmm. keep the money and you get to keep your severance once we get it for you. Absolutely. Let's move down to Rebecca. And I, I knew it wouldn't take long for one of these questions. Says, uh, "Hey guys, love the show. Uh, my employer is forcing us to either get vaccinated or do testing twice a week, or we will be terminated. I do not want to do either, as I feel this is a breach of my privacy. Is this legal?" So, 
so much of these cases, John, really come down to the facts of the individual person. And it's hard to really say in Rebecca's setting, you know, is she working in a long-term care home? Is she working remotely from home and hasn't been to the office in 20 months? And all of that is material to, you know, the individual's case. And, and so it's so, it's so hard to answer a question like that without having those details. But our general view at the firm has always been that these are significant changes being imposed by the employer unilaterally, mm-hmm. and and really, unless they have a you know substantial justification, if they can show a pressing need to impose these significant changes and introduce them to the new to the employment contract, those are constructive dismissals. Again, I can you know. Thinking back to the most basic definition of a constructive dismissal, a unilateral fundamental change being imposed by one party that significantly impacts the employment relationship. And I can't think of anything more significant than your employer coming to you and saying, if you don't do this, we're not going to give you work and we're not going to pay you. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's interesting, and it, I know the other question you get is you know I've been at home for uh, for so many months, a year and a half, and my employers tell me to come back to work. Do I have to come back now that I've been at home for a while? And I think generally the answer to that one, Stan, is uh, yeah, you do because the original incarnation of your employment was at the office for X number of days a week. So uh, jump on a subway. We're, we're we're bringing you back, right? Yeah, I mean, I know that it's not probably what a lot of employees want to hear. You know, remote Mm -hmm. uh, working arrangements are becoming more and more prominent, no question about it. But at the end of the day, the employer gets to control the setting of where you work, especially if that was the case prior to the pandemic. Uh, And now they want to bring you back. They have that authority. Uh, And it doesn't really give a lot of wiggle room for employees if that's the case. Let's take a wee break, and we'll get back to lots more. Your emails and your calls, help at employmentlawyer.ca, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca as well, and reach out to Stan and his uh, his team partner at San Fierro to Mark and LLP. That's simple, one 821 We'll continue, Employment Law Show. And as uh, always, so good to have you along on the show again today. Stan Fainselberg is your guy to reach out to. Uh, yeah, call the number, call Stan after the show. If you would prefer a uh, lengthier and more private conversation, you got some things to discuss, no obligation. Just pick up a phone, call him, talk to uh, Stan and his uh, his colleagues as well. one 821 We are uh, macheting our way through the email inbox. There's a lot of them. I know you guys are getting hundreds of these every day. It's all, uh, you know, well, not all of it, but a lot of it, as we mentioned, you know, vaccine-related and, you know, going back to work and all that stuff, Stan. But people can reach out to you anytime uh, with that email address, help at employmentlawyer.ca. Trying to figure out where we ended up. I believe it was Trina. Yes. Uh, Yeah, Trina's next says, uh, Hey, Stan, I'm a Jehovah's Witness, and employer won't recognize my religious exemption to taking the vaccine. Is there anything I can do? Well, Trina, I mean, there are absolutely things you can do, but the practical reality that you have to you know, understand is that you, your employer, if they're not recognize, recognizing your exemption, and if they're assumingly going to put you on a leave of absence or they're going to terminate you for cause, there's really practically nothing you can do to stop that from happening. That doesn't mean your employer is right. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean they have cause. That doesn't mean you you're, you don't qualify for a religious exemption. You know, all of those things will be adjudicated by a court or tribunal, and they will look at the facts and decide what the answers are. Yeah. But again, for for anyone out there who's you know talking about or in a situation where they're unvaccinated, they about to be put on unpaid leave, about to be uh, terminated potentially. That you cannot stop your employer from doing this. 
What you can do is you can call us at the firm, talk to us, and proceed against your employer and get the severance that you're owed for the time that you were there. Does it, before you do, I mean, is there a step you can take before that? Would it would it uh, strengthen your position in Trina's case if she got a letter or something from her, her priest, her, her, her minister, her uh, imam, or her uh, rabbi, whoever it may be, yeah. whatever, you know, pick your religion? Would that help at all or just skip that and, and do what you're saying? Well, I, I do think that it is helpful to apply for these exemptions if you think you have a reasonable basis right. to do so. Because, first mm-hmm. of all, it's creating more ambiguity. It's creating a question that, you know, the employer is going to have to look at and decide, you know, how much risk they want to take to fight right. on. Because yeah. oftentimes, I mean, like, an employer really is not situated to to evaluate someone's religious beliefs and exemption. You know, at the end of the day, this the question of whether someone qualifies for a religious exemption is a question of whether they have sincerely held beliefs that, you know, stop them or require them to do something. Uh, an employer really, as I say, I don't see how any employer could have the wherewithal to be able to evaluate the sincerity of an individual's beliefs. And that's where getting notes from a spiritual religious leader, letters like that, that's all helpful to establish the sincerity of your beliefs and why you believe, yeah. you know, why you hold these beliefs and how they stop you from, in this case, taking the vaccine. Uh, yeah. Whether your employer agrees with you or not, again, I don't see how they have the wherewithal to evaluate that question. And they could get it 100% wrong, you know, it, especially once, you, once you're getting things like spiritual leaders involved who are quoting scripture, who are saying, here's why I, our biblical or holy texts say we can't take this vaccine. Yeah. You know, who is an employer to say, well, we don't think that your scripture is accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not yeah. the right form, and I think that doing, at least putting in for uh, these exemptions with your employer is just going to create more leverage, even if they don't accept them. I want to move on to uh, Benji. Our pal Benji is next. Help at employmentlawyer.ca, by the way, is the email address everybody uses to get their uh, to get their questions on air. Benji says, hey, Stan, I feel like my company is trying to force me out of my job and get me to resign. What should I do? Well, I'm sorry to hear that, Benji. I mean, it's uh, it's something I see all the time. Companies don't like to pay severance, and this is usually the easiest way to get out of it, just to make the environment so inhospitable for the employee that they say, it's not worth it, I'm going to quit, I'm going to go move on, I'm going to find another job. But, Benji, that in and of itself, those actions by the company to in, in creating that hostile environment and forcing you to quit – that is a constructive dismissal. That is a termination itself. And you absolutely do not have to accept it. You can call us and we can proceed against the company on the basis that they're letting you go in this roundabout way that they're not allowed to do and still owe you your severance. There's uh, different ways to reach out to Stan as well. Even before the phone call, you can do a little rooting around pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. It deals with so many issues on the website. It's really like it's, it's like having Stan on your on your smartphone at all times. And wrapped up into that, of course, is the uh, the trusty severance pay calculator, which has been around for years and, and helped hundreds of thousands. And I mean that. That's not hyperbole. Hundreds of thousands of people figure out exactly what their severance should be, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. But just reach out to Stan and his team if you prefer that route. We can do that as well. Our good pal Ram Sammy says, my contract says, Stan, I am promised a bonus based on personal goals. I got one every year for the last seven years, but my boss says the company can't afford a bonus this year. I looked at my numbers and uh, the same as always. Can they just take away my bonus like that? Signed, Clark Griswold. Christmas vacation. (laughs) 
But uh, there you go. What do you say to Ram Sammy? Well, Ram Sammy, if you're getting a bonus every year, if it's clearly delineated in your contract as to how this bonus is calculated, if you've met the metrics of that uh, of that bonus, then you are absolutely entitled to it. I mean, bonus is one of those terms I find, John, that employers like to throw around and they think it means something special at the you know and it can there are there are situations legitimately where there you know a, an employer just gives a discretionary bonus yep. the most common one that i see is a christmas bonus right every christmas somebody gives about 500 bucks has nothing to do with your performance their the company's performance is just one of those good faith gestures that's a truly discretionary bonus in most other instances it's just wages it's just the money you're earning to work there you can call it salary, you can call it bonus, you can call it commissions, you can call it whatever you want. At the end of the day, if it if you are working or based on certain metrics to earn a certain wage and you hit those metrics, you should be entitled to that bonus regardless of the company's yeah. performance because that's not what your bonus is based on. It's based on your personal metrics. And if they're taking that away, well, that is very similar to de- de- decreasing your wages. You know, it's as simple as similar as if I told you that your your base salary is decreasing by ten or fifteen or twenty percent, right. uh, and that's a constructive dismissal at the end of the day. An employer just doesn't have the authority to do that because they're breaching the contract of employment. Another email here, Stan. Wait for uh, for Mikey to call back, and that would be yes. uh, Ilya. Ilya says, "What do I do if you have problems with your manager at work?" Well, I mean, the first, I guess, question here, John, is what's the nature of the problems and how severe are these problems? Because there are differences between not liking your manager and being in a toxic and harassing environment. Uh, ultimately, you know, I tell people this all the time. You don't have to work like the people you work with. You know, it's a business setting. It's a business relationship. It's not that these are not your family or friends at the end of the day. You just you don't have to get along with them. You just have to be able to work with them. And interpersonal issues that happen in the office on basically in every office on probably almost every day do not qualify as a toxic environment necessarily. Now, when things get to a more serious level than that, when you especially when it's a manager who has direct control over you, yeah. then, then absolutely you need to get HR involved. And that's usually the first step is to make the company aware of this manager's actions and ask them to intervene. If they do not intervene, that clearly shows an abdication of their responsibilities to you because they also have a responsibility to ensure a harassment-free workplace under the Occupational Health and Safety Act. So if they're not taking the actions that is required of them under the act, after they've already been made aware of how toxic the relationship is, then you can actually uh, take further steps and you can contact the ministry or you can contact us and say, I'm not interested in staying here anymore. My employer is really not uh, backing me. And so I need to get out of there. It's a toxic environment. And guess what? That's also a constructive dismissal. What if it's a situation? And, you know, I, I know when I, I kind of knew what your answer would be, but there's always a part two when we get this email or a phone call from somebody in that regard about, you know, my manager bothering me, harassing me, so on and so forth. What if it's a, a little mom and pop shop and there's no, you know, big HR department? Or what if the person harassing you is the top dog? I mean, you're going to feel kind of trapped. You can't go to anybody else because the one you're supposed to go to is the one that's doing you harm. Absolutely. I mean, the idea with going to HR is to ensure that the business is aware of the, of the manager's actions. Because in a situation like you're talking about, John, the business and the individual are the same. 
you know. So, of course, yep. the business is already aware of their actions because the owner is the one engaging in the conduct. But in most businesses where, you know, so we're talking about a large corporation where there's silos of departments, you know, uh, throughout the corporation, the, the company itself may not be aware of what's happening. And in the, unless you make them aware, they may not necessarily be liable for that manager's actions at that point because their responsibility is to take action once they know something is happening. If they don't know something is happening, how could we reasonably expect them to take action? Yeah, makes total sense. Let's get on to uh, to Lavi. Lavi says, hey, Stan, I get commissions on sales and my company is changing the structure, which looks like it will result in a huge decrease in my income. What are my options? Mm-hmm. Well, the first, the first thing, I, you know, whenever there's a change in somebody's compensation and it's not entirely clear right away whether it's going to decrease their compensation. I mean, Lavi is saying that it will, but oftentimes I find when there's a commission structure, they, they do it in a very confusing way in the changes, and they say, okay, fine, we'll reduce this percentage, give you more clients here, larger territory, take away this, give you that. And, and it's really hard to know what the net effect is of all of these changes. And so the law, what the, the law recognizes that and essentially gives a person the opportunity to test it out, to, to see what happens over the next two to three weeks or two to three months and see if it confirms your suspicions that, yes, your compensation has decreased significantly, or perhaps not. Perhaps it just stays roughly the same. Uh, at that point, let's say three months down the line, you've seen that you've reduced your compensation by 10, 20, 30 percent because of these changes. You, can, you have the historical data to now prove that. Now you can go and say, okay, this is a very clear constructive dismissal. I know it's led to a reduction in my compensation. I have I've tested it out. I know how this works. It's not fair, and I don't want it, and I don't want to be subjected to it. And so, you can walk away at that point and claim constructive dismissal. Are you, if you decide to, you know, as as we often say in the show, take it for a spin and see how it all plays out. Even with a reduction, maybe you'll make it up somewhere else. If that's something you're willing to try for a couple months, um, is that something you should put in writing and tell your boss, look? I don't think this is going to be good for me, but I'm a, I'm a company guy. I want to try to hang in there, so I'm going to try this out for a couple months. Is that something you should do in writing? Yeah, absolutely. I think if, if you've got concerns, and yeah. well, the biggest problem with constructive dismissals often happens where if you wait too long, the law right. will just imply that you've agreed to the changes. And so the best way to explicitly show that you haven't agreed to anything is to put it in writing. Tell your employer, look, I'm, this is my concern. I'm worried that this new structure is going to lead to a reduction in income. That's how I perceive it. Nevertheless, I'd like to try it out. I'm going to stay on and see how this goes. No harm in saying that, and it gives you that evidence to show that, well, look, I never actually accepted anything. The only thing I accepted was that I agreed to try it out. It's awesome. It's awesome stuff. Take all these notes down. If, you, uh, if you're missing anything Stan says when he replies to these emails, you can always call him after the show, right? And moving forward anytime, one 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca. Employment Law Show, lots more coming up. We are back at it. Thanks for sticking around. Yeah, feel free to reach out. Uh, you can do so by email. That's what we're getting through today, a ton of the email inbox. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. Stan Fanselberg Partners, Sam Firu to Markin, the most positively reviewed employment law firm in the land. How about that? Also working out of Alberta and BC. You guys are all over it. People reaching out for sure, especially in these times, and they're doing both with phone calls to you, to the office, Stan, and they're going to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, and they're emailing us as well. 
crazy times, but you're helping so many, keeping all the plates spinning. I, I know you are, and you're you're pretty good at it. Fang is up next. Says, hey, Stan, love the show. I have been terminated, and the company has offered me one week for each year I was there. Is that fair? This is severance. Uh, this is Employment Law 101. Here we go again, yeah. right? Yeah, and, and, you know, going back to Employment Law 101, you know, Fang, the question of your entitlements is dependent on a couple of factors. Mm-hmm. Uh, the factors being your age, your position, your length of employment, your ability to find new employment in the future. And, and, you know, without even knowing those factors, John, what I can say is that one week per year is almost always going to be a terrible severance package for almost everyone, every employee who gets terminated. Uh, you know, that, that is usually equivalent to somebody's minimum entitlement, yeah. uh, which are, again, um, their minimum entitlements, not their maximum entitlements. Saying if you want to know what your maximum entitlements, you can visit the pocket employment, uh, uh, pocket employment, oh, John, you, you know the... Pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, yeah, yeah, yeah that's Thank it. Thank you, and uh, the severancepaycalculator.ca, both mm-hmm. of which where you can just input a few key factors and they'll spit out what your uh, range and reasonable notice period is. And I can guarantee you it's going to tell you to contact us so you can speak to a lawyer and get the fair severance that you deserve. Let's just assume for a sec that Fang's employer is not trying to pull a fast one and rip them off, saying, oh, yeah, one week is, is all you uh, all you deserve or all you're expected to get. Let's just assume for a sec that that's what they think. Where are they getting their misinformation from? Most of the time it comes from the ministry. You know, most employers think, you know, and, and this is not – Malicious. This is not bad intention. Most employers sure. are not, you know, that well versed in employment law. They're not employment lawyers. At the end of the day, uh, they're they've got other businesses to run, and so the first thing they do when they decide what are they going to give a person when they terminate them is probably go on Google and search what is termination pay. And the first thing that will likely come up when you search termination pay is the Ministry of Labor yeah. telling you that a person is only entitled to one week per year for termination pay up to a maximum of eight weeks. So then the employer thinks, great, I'll give them that, you know, and I'll be done. That's not too bad. Again, that's that's a minimum. That's the least amount of money that you can get so, to pay someone if you're terminating them without cause. Uh, and keep in mind here, John, that even if, you, let's say an employer got an employee to agree to it. Let's say that employee signs a release giving up their right to sue in exchange for only their minimum entitlements. They were there yeah. for six years. They got six weeks. They signed a release saying, I can't sue you. Then they figure, then they hear about uh, about us or hear hear one of these radio shows and hear and understand that that was a bad deal that was not not very uh, favorable but they think they're stuck and the reality is they're actually not stuck because that release is not enforceable in because and that release in any contract both parties have to derive some benefit from that and when they're when your employer is only giving you your minimums which you're already entitled to by law by statute. You cannot give up your right to sue only for your minimums because you're not being given anything by your employer. You're being given your minimums by the government. The statute provides those for you. It's only if they provide something above that, and it doesn't have to be a lot. You know, there's this, what we call the peppercorn theory. It literally, a peppercorn, anything, can qualify for what we call consideration and could make that release enforceable. Wow. But if they're only giving you your minimums, that will never... (laughs) constitute consideration that will never allow them to rely on that release let's move on to uh taylor thank you for uh for emailing us uh, today taylor again help at employmentlawyer.ca anytime not just for the show anytime at all taylor says if i am in a mutually consensual relationship with my colleague at work can i be terminated for cause by the company 
a, a mind, this is definitely you know a, a minefield when it comes to employment law. <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's very you know it's one of those things that obviously has become a huge area of concern uh, with the prominence of the Me Too movement. You know the understanding of the power imbalance in the workplace, uh, and the answer is you can. It depends on the nature of the relationship. Ultimately, you know if it's just you and your colleague and you're on the same hierarchical level, you know you don't report to them; they don't report to you. You know, you can even if you work in the same department, that's probably going to be okay, as long as you notify your employer and establish certain boundaries with your employer. Now, if you are a manager, if you are someone who works directly above the colleague who you're in a relationship with, or even if you're not even directly above, you could be several rungs higher. Uh, if they, if there is a again power imbalance, if there's some line of reporting relationship, that is almost always going to amount to cause, even in a consensual setting. And, and the prominent example that comes to mind, John, is something that happened not that long ago, which was the CEO of McDonald's having to resign because of a consensual relationship that he had with a subordinate. And it wasn't even a direct subordinate, as I understand. It was just someone, you know, a few rungs down the chain. Nevertheless, just the, the, the optics of it, despite it being consensual, were still offside for the company. Uh, that in that situation, it ended up he just resigned. They obviously had some sort of internal agreement with the board, but nevertheless, that could still amount to cause, even despite the consensual nature. And I mean, that, I mean that example, of course, it's a subordinate, but it, it, is it the same thing apply if it's two people that are on the same you know level playing field? No, I would say in that situation, you're probably okay. As again, uh, as long as they're not, you know, there's no direct reporting relationship. At the same time, I think you want to disclose that to your employer because you don't want it to be even the perception of a conflict of interest, right? And once you disclose it to your employer, you know, then then I think you're you're fine. You know, they they know they know they have to keep certain guardrails in place to ensure that you know other people don't perceive any sort of conflict of interest. But if you don't have that direct relationship from a, a work perspective, then you can probably have a consensual relationship from a personal perspective. I want to get Trevor in here quick before we break. Do one more quick one here in a minute. Uh, Trevor says, I worked at a car dealership as a business manager, and I was terminated for cause. Reasons given were that I accidentally left the keys in the door when I closed up one day, and I have issues with my driver's license. Is this cause? Uh, I mean, I think, Trevor, that sounds very questionable in terms of whether that amounts to cause. Um, small things like, even small, you know, negligent things like leaving the door uh, unlocked sure. or the keys in the door. Yeah, I mean, certainly that's not great from a performance uh, perspective. I think every employer and all of us would expect that not to happen. But if it just happens once, I mean, that certainly doesn't amount to cause to, to say that, oh, my God, this relationship is now irreparable. You know, we can't possibly trust this human being. It, it, you know, one incident like that mm -hmm. can never establish that. Um, now, if that keeps happening, you know, certainly at Different. some point they yeah. could say, we, you know, clearly we can't trust you because we've given you all these warnings, we've given you all these opportunities, and you're just not getting it. And, and again, all of this is contextual. It's, it, it'd be much easier if, uh, if Trevor was there for one year to terminate him for cause than if he was there for 20 years. Right. If you want to reach out to Stan after the show and his team, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at employmentlawyer.ca or just employmentlawyer.ca. Take you to the firm website, and there's a media tab. You can catch uh, past episodes and current episodes of our long-running TV show of this nature as well. We'll continue. More employment law show is on the way.
Alrighty, welcome back. A few minutes to go, so we'll get to some more emails here. We're cleaning out the old inbox. John is up next. Says, uh, hey, Stan, I was terminated from my employment after 30 years, and I was the operations manager at the time overseeing a warehouse. I was terminated because I was duped into joining a pyramid scheme and recruited people from work before I knew it was a scheme. I'm very regretful for what happened, but I don't think I should lose my job for something like this. What do you think? You know, one of the... One of the reasons I love employment law is fact scenarios like this because you just encounter yeah. situations that you know. Yeah, I don't think you'll see anywhere else. Like, and <sighs> I absolutely feel for John in this instance. I mean, it's a terrible. I can only imagine the feeling of realizing that you've been caught up in some sort of scam. Uh, I mean, I don't think anyone should have to go through that. Uh, but in the question, I guess, becomes: Is how did that scam in this particular instance affect the workplace? Because, you know, I, I had something very similar, actually, in my practice, where an individual who was a manager had engaged in something very similar to this and had actually played a part in recruit, recruiting employees from the workplace into the pyramid scheme. And so wow. when when that happens and when you have a position as a manager, and I, I'm very sympathetic to John here because I understand that he didn't do it intentionally, but nevertheless, you know, when you have that kind of authority and power over your employees, you have to wield it very carefully. And in this particular instance, even though this is something happening outside of the workplace, there's still a really good argument for the employer to make to say, no, you know, we can't trust you based on the actions that happen inside the workplace. You're recruiting our employees into this scheme that we understand you weren't a part of. You didn't, you didn't know it was a scam, but nevertheless, you know, you, you have to live with it. Want to get on to uh, to Albert? Albert is up next, says, I have been with the company for seven months and have missed approximately two months of work. Most of the absences were because of medical issues and the others I advised the company about prior to taking time off, and they didn't say anything. Now the company is taking the position I've been terminated for excessive absenteeism. Is that legal? And I mean, I think there's two things going on here, John. So firstly, you know, you've got the medical aspect. Uh, if somebody is missing work due to a documented medical issue, you can never rely on those absences as an employer because relying on them to terminate someone would be a human rights violation. You're right. literally saying that, you know, part of the reason we're letting you go is because you missed time because of a disability. That's a pretty clear-cut human rights violation. The other aspect to this question from Albert that I want to talk about is the, the question of, well, you know, he took other time and that was never brought up as an issue. And, and there, again, an employer can't rely on it if they are not going to warn somebody or issue some sort of disciplinary action for actions at the time they happen. Like if, in this case, if Albert took a week off and he told them, hey, I got to take a week off because of whatever, and they don't say anything, they can't rely on it several months after the fact to say, oh, remember that time you missed a week when without our authority? Uh, we're going to rely on that as, uh, as termination for cause. Right. No, by that point, the employer has condoned those actions. If you do not protest the actions at the time they happen, if you don't warn the employee, if you don't tell them this is not okay, you, can, you cannot rely upon those actions down the line. And if you have a succinct and concrete medical documentation, you need to be off. You're good to go as well. I know the, the you know your medical team has has the final say on this one, it's, as far as I know, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and it, again, a medical note doesn't have to say a lot, and it shouldn't say a lot. Your employer is not supposed to know anything about your diagnosis. 
The only thing the employer is allowed to know is the prognosis. Right. When will you be back? And any sort of restrictions or limitations that might uh, be required to facilitate you coming back to accommodate the employee. Um, outside of that, those very few pieces of details, they're really not allowed, not allowed to know what the diagnosis is. And most medical notes that I see usually just say, I've seen this patient and they, it's my medical opinion that they take two weeks off and they'll be reevaluated. Right. That's a perfectly fine medical note. It's not for your employer to question your doctor's medical diagnosis. Sure. They, again, they do not have the wherewithal to do that. If a doctor is saying you can't work, you are allowed to rely on that doctor's opinion. You know, kind of under the same this same topic, I'll sidestep it a little bit. I think there's confusion both on the side of the employee and employer when it comes to being off for sick days. If somebody has, say, five or ten sick days, <laughs> sometimes we found them calling in and, and emailing you saying, you know, I've, I've been off for 15 days, and my employer says I can't. I can only be off for 10 days. So what do I do if I'm still sick? There's confusion there. Yeah, well, I think a lot of times it's, a que- it's not a question of whether you can be off. Again, to be very clear... If you are sick, if you're unable to work due to any sort of illness, you don't have to work. You know, mm-hmm. if your employer is giving you pushback, go see a doctor, get a medical note, you know, just like the one I just mentioned, and that will give you all the cover you need to say, no, I don't have to come into work. Uh, so I'm, I'm thinking, so the 10 days, is that's, that's mm-hmm. what you'll get paid for. Beyond that, right. you can be off for six months if you're on some sort of, say, long-term disability, but the employer exactly. just simply won't pay you, right? Exactly. Most of these government, uh, or sorry, not government programs, when these uh, these companies, when they offer sick days, what they're really offering is paid time off. Uh, and that does run out, as you say, five, ten days. Most companies, frankly, don't offer paid sick days. Yeah. Um, luckily, the government has instituted a program that if you're sick due to, or, or in any way unable to work due to COVID, then you can have four weeks of EI. Uh, similarly, the government has the medical uh, EI sick pay, which is, a, again, a program that because you cannot work due to illness, you can qualify for EI and get up to 15 weeks of EI payments. But absolutely, you know, when it comes to sick days, that's usually a term that's particular to the company. And really what we're talking about is paid time off versus unpaid time off. Howard's got the last call on the show uh, today. He says, guys, can my employer make me work on a Saturday for free to make up for the fact that I got paid for stat holiday? <laughs> uh I mean, absolutely not. First of all, nobody can be forced to work for free. That's uh, that's really kind of contradictory to the concept of work. And, you know, the, the basic tenet of any employment relationship, as I said earlier at the yeah. show, is that you give me work and I provide you with labor. And you, and you give me money for work, of course, as well. Yeah. No, and, again, and in the second part of Howard's question, whether he could be forced to make up the statutory holiday for free, well, that would defeat the purpose of the statutory holiday. I mean, the government <laughs> giving these holidays to employees to take time off, yeah. be with you know, their family, friends, whatever, and that's paid time off. Yep. And that's the government's decision, and you can't just circumvent the government's decision and the laws of the land uh, by forcing someone to make up the time for free. A lot of good stuff today, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate all of your emails as well, correspondence, if you've written in and we got your email today. If not, we'll pick it up at another time. In the meantime, help at employmentlawyer.ca. That's the email address. Phone number 1-855-821-5900. And even before that phone call to Stan and his team, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll catch you next time. Employment Law Show.